This is an MACP podcast and my name is Dan Nichols. I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Neil Landridge uh, and today we're going to talk about first contact practitioners. Firstly, uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast, Neil. That's a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. Um, before we kick off and, and talk a bit about uh, this, the role of first contact practitioners, can you um, give uh, listeners a bit of an insight into, into your background for me? Yeah, briefly, I'm a consultant physiotherapist. I've just um, gained a new role starting in a month's time as a senior lecturer at University of Winchester on their physiotherapy undergraduate course. I've been a MSK clinician for 23 years. I've been doing some first contact work over the last three to four years as part of a Vanguard project. Um, and we've developed um, a number of different small projects locally around first contact practitioners. And I've been employed by Health Education England as a clinical lead uh, as part of a development of e-learning and an e-learning package, uh, which is a collaboration of numerous clinicians from different areas to support support first contact practitioners in their uh, capabilities and, and their governance. But so, so well positioned to um, to be implementing this this role that we're talking about today, um, a first contact practitioner. So, for listeners that aren't familiar with with this role, what is it, and and why is there considered a need for for this role at the moment? So, if we, I think there's, it's important that we talk about just to open up the discussion about first contact. You know, physiotherapy has been a first contact pr- profession um, uh, for forty years. Um, so without the need for referral. But what this is about is the first contact for a patient through their um, primary care NHS um, journey. Um, And the reason this has come about is um, NHS crisis identified in the five-year forward view. So uh, GP forward view, the requirement to support uh, GP practice, the need for uh, the right appointment with the right clinician at the right time, and the numbers of patients unable to access a GP um, in a a timely manner. Um, MSK has had focus through a number of different uh, documents through NHS England as uh, a fast-track model to support GP um, access um, because of physiotherapists being able to see a patient without the need for a referral and a range of MSK skills that now support not just physiotherapy and rehabilitation advice, but also an advanced practice skill such as prescribing injection therapies and the the requests for radiology. So this is uh, developed certainly with my perspective through uh, Vanguard funding, where I initially worked in a local GP practice, um, seeing uh, patients that were direct walk-ins through um, the, the admin team, um, booked directly into my clinic, and, and I would see uh, patients and advise, guide, um, make, make referrals into mm-hmm. services, and also provide injection therapies. There have been a number of uh, fast pilots. Um, Amanda Hensman-Crook in, in, in the north has, has developed a, a fantastic model and working team up with local GP practices. And there's been an expansion um, of different types of first contact uh, practice, uh, ranging from advice and guidance to uh, full advanced practice skills um, in, different, in different situations, such as uh, our current work is with the GP Federation, um, so we look after 17 practices. Other practices are employing their own physiotherapists, 
trusts are having service level agreements with um, local GP practices. So there's a range of different first contact primary care physiotherapy models that are, uh, are driving uh, this new model of care. And if we stick with that at the moment, so the, the different models that are currently in place, uh, what have we what have we learned from these so far? Um, there, there is a uh, certainly it's it's safe. Um, the the work that's been done through audit um, and reviews has shown that it's safe practice. Um, it's been shown to be um, economically viable, and it's shown to have good patient satisfaction. It's been shown that um, we can reduce the number of referrals into services. This admittedly is through uh, local audit um, data. Um, but um, some of the work that has been published show that economically, in terms of cost saving uh, around maybe prescribing and the referrals into orthopedics or physiotherapy, you inherently save money as well as being a cheaper service than having to employ a GP to provide the same service. So we know there's a lot of good data to support the, the model in the first instance. So the, so the stats are looking good. How long, has, how long has it been running for? I know there's been a, there's a breadth of different models, but how long have these models uh, geographically been, been running? Um, my, to my knowledge, certainly over the last five years. And in terms of taking those stats, they look initially good, but what we need is some good robust data. And I, the CSP published that there's going to be some work developed by Keel very soon, um, a much larger trial that will uh, give us much uh, stronger data to support the case. And, and currently, what, uh, what band is this role being aimed at? Um, <clears throat> the advice is uh, at 8A due to the accountability and the, the need for these individuals, I believe, to work at the top of their licence. Uh, what I mean by that is using all the skills that we have available as MSK clinicians working in an autonomous way, um, as mentioned, prescribing injections and uh, radiological investigations, um, which would, for me, mean that that role should be at 8A. Um, I think there's a, certainly a role for a developmental band 7 role, because it can be quite a jump from band 6 uh, into that 8A. So some sort of apprenticeship programme, associated with advanced practice, linked in with first contact. Uh, the way that the profession is going with advanced practice frameworks, as well as the first contact frameworks, I can see there's a really good parallel for building in a uh, competency capabilities and training programs locally and possibly nationally. And on that note, what are the, what are the, so it's currently it's uh, a band eight, a role, but the scope to, to build that into a developing band seven post. What 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 are the challenges and the issues around uh, clinical governance and who who signs off these competencies and, and maintains the professional development? Yeah, that, that that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> you've got the first instance: who signs off, and who signs off the person that signs off, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I we have to start somewhere. So. People that have been in post for a period of time have been developing um, these roles and have, have, within their, their working environment uh, would be deemed to be competent by themselves. So you, 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 if you're, you feel that you're working within scope, you're deemed to be competent. How we go forward is the capabilities document that's recently been published, and I think that should be the bedrock to signing individuals off. Now, who does that um, is still up for discussion. Um, 
Within that capabilities um, piece of work, there's still discussion about how we would sign that document off, which is basically a portfolio. Now, that is likely to be done by a panel, um, and I'm sure we'll discuss this at Physio UK, but it, because Richard Collier will be on that panel, and he's, he's been the lead for the capabilities document. But we're talking about some sort of panel that will sign off whether we agree this is at the appropriate level that we're looking for. So we hope that there'll be some sort of national level agreed standard linked to the capabilities document that will give it, give it the robust um, assurance that it, it requires and deserves. Um, from that point, um, we, we would want to see that mentors start to develop um, sort of organically as these individuals get signed off, that they become natural mentors to new individuals working in these forms of practice. But it's such a rapid change, I think we'll just have to make sure the assurances are in place, but look to be quite fluid in how we adapt and change. So why are those agreed standards coming into place? So currently it's, it's, a, it's a GP-led competencies? Well, you, I think many uh, services will link the um, first contact role within their local MSK service. So if you've got uh, an advanced practice service led by um, lead clinicians, consultant physiotherapists, consultant practitioners, I think there's absolutely no reason why those individuals couldn't be the uh, governance sign-off for a linked service. I don't think it's actually um, healthy to completely separate the primary care model from community and secondary care colleagues. So for the time being, the way to do it is to link that in with your local leadership and MSK governance processes. Yeah. So um, if, we, if we move over to um, the, some of the challenges of, of this role, is there a risk... Um, that it would be used as a quick access to um, a practice-based physio. So how can, how can this model be assured to be a true first contact uh, practitioner role as you've, you've, you've uh, yeah. laid out there? And, and is that one of the challenges? How do you see that overcoming that? Yeah, that, that, that is a huge challenge. And certainly my experience is, is that's what's happened. Uh, we've, we've developed um, within our uh, local community hospital a primary care service but it's just basically quick access into an advanced practitioner um, rather than actually patient making that referrals. And we're trying to address that at the moment. That comes down to a number of different things. Firstly, GP education. But it also comes down to the wider elements of the MSK service. If you've got high weights in your physiotherapy or your orthopaedic service, it, is not, it wouldn't be um, surprising that GPs want quick access for their patients and they'll find any route to get that care that they want that patient to receive. So it's a system evaluation to make sure that your waiting lists aren't, are, are managed as effectively as possible and therefore putting this service, it needs to be integrated rather than just an add-on. If it becomes just an add-on, it will get loaded and it will fail. So it needs to be integrated into your current MSK services effectively, therefore freeing up other clinicians in other areas to give your workforce redesign to allow it to be used as effectively as possible. So something that will hopefully with time as well and a bit more of an understanding all round of, of the role hopefully that that will um that will clear up that that issue and these are maybe perhaps teething problems that uh that we'd, we'd expect you'd have to accept that and expect it um <clears throat> and this really is about um 
building relationships and, and really good marketing. We, as a profession, need to market ourselves as effectively as possible. And we, at times, I, I think we do that uh, as well as we should or could. Um, and this will be about, you know, using, using basic marketing strategies. So our stakeholders, primarily our patients, as well as our GP colleagues, really understand the type of patients and the type of um, model that is best placed for their local population. Yeah, I, I would echo that in my own thoughts. See that it's a, it's a really positive step in the, in the promotion physiotherapy as as a profession. And adding on to that, is there potential for other allied health professionals <coughs> taking taking on the same role? For example, our podiatry colleagues. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100 percent uh, broadening this out. The 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 e-learning package that I'm I'm leading on. Is, is not aimed at physiotherapists. It's aimed at practitioners in a first contact role. And that could be any uh, appropriately trained, competent individual that sees a patient that has an MSK um, problem um, or condition. Um, we, we, we can't be that narrow to think that physiotherapy is going to fix or solve <clears throat> some of all of these problems. But what we can be are leaders in the field in developing MSK practice in other areas. As a, as a profession, if we look back 20 years ago, we moved into orthopaedics, we moved into rheumatology, we moved into our, uh, working with our radiological and medical colleagues. <clears throat> we need to be as open as, as, as they were um, to understand that we've got to open our doors to other professions to work with us. Um, and without doing so, it, 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 this, we haven't got enough clinicians to be able to really make the changes that the patients need. Yeah, and, and ultimately provide a better, uh, a, a better service, more robust service, and uh, an effect in the longevity of it. I can see that. That sounds really mm. positive. Yeah. Um, I, and if we if we develop on that, I know you've touched on a few already, but what are the the, the main risks and benefits for for patients and and the service as a whole for this this role? So the the main benefit for patients, um, and I can draw on my own experiences, um, is that the patient does not get um, referred into other services. So I would manage the vast majority of the patients myself. The, the vast majority, well over 60% of my patients were managed with advice and guidance. The way that you can do that effectively in, in a primary care first contact model is that patients are on, don't ever require a referral. So you can ask, invite the patient to return at any time at any, with any con, con, concern or question. So that empowers a patient naturally to take control of their condition because you can give them the safety net that, look, if this doesn't work or you're struggling, I can order an investigation that will possibly look at this in, in more detail any time that we think it's appropriate for you. So the benefit is the patient feels empowered and linked and is not going through a real rigorous paper process to get to where they need to go. They tend to see somebody that's got an expertise um, in the in the pathway um, of, of MSK practice, but also has got a rehabilitation background, and therefore you can start them on the process of rehabilitation immediately, even if they're being investigated at the same time. It's highly likely they won't need that investigation. It won't lead to significant change, but their rehabilitation can work in parallel rather than in sort of segmented uh, processes of MSK practice. Um, sorry. Yeah. On that note, so how many contacts are you are you finding in your own practice? You're having of patients. So you saying you you safety net them an appropriately uh, image if required, or, or you might discharge them on active monitoring so they can re-enter the the service if they need to to give them yes. that reassurance. But and how how many contacts are, 
uh, are you seeing there? Yeah, so my, my physiotherapy referrals are low. Um, we're around about 10% into a physiotherapy service. Uh, so my, my advice and guidance was around about 60%. And the average um, contacts would um, certainly be no more than just over two uh, for patients that would require um, uh, monitoring. It was about 2.5. Vast majority were seen as a one-off. The vast majority seen with advice and guidance. Um, but over a period of time, I'd obviously see them again. They would self-refer for a, a, a discussion. So it wasn't, it's very difficult to judge whether you're having contacts with an episode because what you're dealing with is you're managing a community. That's what GPs do. So you can't say this is with an episode because it's, it's, a, it's a much broader way of managing a, a patient. It's much more supportive. It's, 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 it's a broader holistic management because you're always there with the availability for them to see you. So if that makes sense, you can't necessarily say how many contacts you have in episode because you're managing that community. Yeah. And how does that, how does that um, figure of 10%, how does that compare to data from uh, musculoskeletal conditions from a, a GP referral? Oh, well, it's, yeah. I mean, as a GP referral, that's going to be, it, it's lower, but you'd be, well, I was surprised and, and I'm really pleasantly surprised about, you know, how many patients GPs manage um, without making a referral into physiotherapy. They really do a fantastic job of signposting and managing that, that, that throughput. Um, and, it, and I've said it and, and many times, I have a newfound respect for the referrals that we receive um, from GPs in the time that they have. So I, I certainly I'm going to be lower in my referrals, but I'm a physiotherapist and I would be, be disappointed if I didn't have a lower referral rate. And I always welcome GP referrals um, into our service because I know they have filtered out many, many patients prior to that one patient they've referred in. It, it strikes me that it might have a positive influence as people start um, primary care getting an understanding about the first contact practitioners having a, a positive effect on um, physio departments that are offering self-referrals because they may have a greater understanding of what is an appropriate time yeah. to encourage those self-referrals and, and, and when, uh, when it might not be deemed appropriate. I mean, that, 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 that's a great example. You, you need, I mean, to really enhance this, look at all the really good models that are out there, whether it's telephone triage or whether it's a uh, self-referral into physiotherapy. You want to empower those patients with many access points. So don't always have to come back and see you. You could say, look, for this condition, if you feel that my advice and guidance hasn't worked and you've got a self-referral into the local MSK service, you can say, well, don't come back and see me, self-refer directly in. Um, and the team will see you if you followed all these first-line management processes. Um, that team may be integrated with an MSK um, interface service, and they could link back into you as needed. It really is about bringing those access points together so you don't have that, that forward and backward motion and side-to-side um, motion of patients being misreferred and the pathway being held back because they don't really have the correct access points at the right time. And that's just about educating them and safety netting them effectively. Yeah, sounds sounds uh, an exciting time for the for the role to continue to develop. For those who are interested, uh, I'm obviously going to be attending your um, talk at the Physio UK conference. So for listeners that aren't aware of it, it's on the uh, 19th and 20th of October in Birmingham yep. ICC. And I understand you're going to do a panel discussion. You mentioned Richard Collier there is going to be there 
Um, and uh, then Angus uh, Tallini, uh, Chris Mercer, Amanda Henson, uh, is it Hensman? Hensman Crook. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and Ruth Ten Hove. Is is that is that the whole of the panel there off the top of my head? There, yes, there may very well be Ruth. Um, um, is in discussion with Sarah Withers, and it's worth the listeners knowing Sarah's new role. The CSP have employed Sarah on, I think, a two-year program as leading from the from the CSP perspective the um, implementation um, and supporting implementation uh, locally uh, for practitioners and services developing first contact work so certainly CCGs would want to link in their local clinical leads local service managers um, and uh, we'd hope to build in more and more data a business planning to help um, move these services forward because it's quite difficult to check contractually to sometimes make these changes. Um, so if you can work with CCGs and we build up our data set, um, it will be an easier win uh, to turn these services round outside some of their contracts in a transformational way. And will there, will there at that panel discussion be opportunity to um, reflect on some of the kills study and the, what, what's being found there, or is it too early days yet? It's too early, I believe, with that, but certainly... Um, we will have um, – so Amanda's produced a number of um, robust audits. She's led on some work on uh, data collection and will certainly be able to inform um, the, 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 the attendees on, on some of that. Richard, with his uh, capabilities document, has done a huge amount of work uh, surrounding what would be the appropriate way to sign off um, and assure people around the standards of practice, which I know would be a um, a real uh, area of interest for people wanting to go into that type of work. Um, we'll talk about, from a, a national perspective, either Sarah or Ruth, um, how we, how, what the future holds and how individuals can get involved and, and, and lead some transformational work and what support they would be likely to receive. Perfect. On on that note, I think uh, we'll we'll round it up there, and uh, I look forward to hearing that panel discussion in October and um, and uh, hearing what developments you've had between now and then. Great. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for your time, Neil. Take care. Pleasure. Cheers. Bye now.